Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Tuesday, August 6th. I'm Wayne Pratt. Ahead, Michael Brown's death in 2014 exposed a troubled relationship between police and the black community and the abusive practices of local municipal courts. After Michael Brown's murder, the system is significantly kinder and gentler than it used to be. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Lippman examines how lawsuits and legislation have worked to improve the courts over the last five years. First, the news. Voters in two St. Louis County Council districts today will determine which party controls the seven-person legislative body. Democrat Rita Days and Republican Sarah Davoli are competing for the central and eastern-based first district seat, and Republican Amy Pelker and Democrat Kelly Dunaway are running to represent the North St. Louis County-based second district seat in today's election. Republicans hold a 3-2 majority on the county council. If Days and Dunaway prevail, the Democrats can regain control through the end of 2020. After a statewide plan to merge St. Louis and St. Louis County fizzled, a local effort could come to pass in the next few months. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum has more on St. Louis County Executive Sam Page's view of the consolidation debate. A plan known as Better Together to merge the city and county folded earlier this year, especially as critics assailed that it would be taken to statewide voters. Municipal officials may soon turn in enough signatures to launch what's known as the Board of Freeholders that could send a plan to voters only in St. Louis and St. Louis County. Page will appoint nine members to the 19-person board. He says the emphasis shouldn't necessarily be on consolidation of the city and county. I think we have to look at whether or not St. Louis County and St. Louis City can have a more cooperative relationship. It doesn't mean erasing their boundaries and merging their governments, but some sort of more cooperative relationship needs to exist. Both Page and St. Louis Mayor Lyda Krusen will have 10 days to appoint members of the board after freeholder proponents turn in enough signatures. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. St. Louis Public Radio. Page was speaking on St. Louis on the Air. The full conversation is up on our website, stlpublicradio.org. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker has signed a law designed to improve the state's Medicaid program, which provides health care for the poor, elderly, and disabled. Among other changes, it is meant to make it easier for people to meet the annual requirement of proving they are still entitled to coverage. Dan Rabbit with the anti-poverty group Heartland Alliance says tens of thousands of Illinois residents have been losing coverage every month. Not because they became ineligible, but because they missed a mailing, because the documentation they sent back wasn't sufficient, because they didn't understand the mail that got sent to them. The law is also intended to reduce the backlog of people applying for Medicaid in Illinois. Classes resume next week at many public schools in Missouri. A change lawmakers have approved to school calendars means classes will start about two weeks later next year. As St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney reports, that will alter the summer camp schedule as well. 
These YMCA campers would rather count off consecutive cartwheels than count down to the end of summer. Next year, though, camps will have to go longer to fill an extended summer vacation. The Gateway Region Y's Lori McTiernan says the Y may have a hard time finding enough counselors to oversee activities when camps run until late August. It's kind of a double-edged here for us because the YMCA relies on a lot of part-time staff to be our camp counselors in the summer. And as they get ready to go back to college and leave the St. Louis region, uh, we lose a majority of our college students. The tourism industry pushed for the amended school start date to increase time for visits to popular destinations. Next year, school won't start until August 24th. I'm Ryan Delaney, St. Louis Public Radio. Michael Brown's 2014 death at the hands of a Ferguson police officer helped paint a clear picture of the troubled relationship between the police and the African-American community. It also brought to light the abuses in the municipal court system that could follow interactions with police. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Littman reports on changes in the system five years after Brown's death. It's the first Thursday of the month, and that means morning court in the city of Normandy. The 50 or so defendants wait in the city council chambers, talking quietly amongst themselves or looking at their phones. A slideshow outlining their rights in court and court procedures flashes on the wall. Court begins promptly at 9 a.m. One by one, defendants approach the podium. Judge Jennifer Fisher reads the charges, asks them how they want to plead, and tells them the amount they have to pay. If they don't have the money, she gives them time to get it together. Attorney Eric Banks came to court for a client with a speeding ticket. After Michael Brown's murder, the system is significantly kinder and gentler than it used to be. It's still expensive to get pulled over, Banks says. His client will pay more than $200 in fines and fees. They're getting their money, but they're getting it with um, preserving the people's dignity by and large. The municipal court practices revealed after Brown's death were problematic at best and unconstitutional at worst, says Michael John Voss, a co-founder of the legal advocacy group Arch City Defenders. Before 2014, he says, the courts were barely more than cash cows for their cities. People were being locked up because of their inability to pay fines and fees and were being held indefinitely until uh, possibly going in front of judge, sometimes weeks, sometimes longer than that. And while that was happening, the collateral consequences of losing one's job, uh, losing one's housing, uh, basically furthering uh, one's poverty occurs. A number of the fees, he says, weren't even authorized by state law. Voss acknowledges there's been a move away from what he calls policing for profit. He says revenue from fines and fees is down 78 percent in St. Louis County since 2014, and state court data show a large drop in the number of municipal court cases. 966,000 filed statewide in 2018, compared to 1.6 million in 2014. Some of that shift was driven by legislation. Senate Bill 5, approved in 2015, capped the amount of municipal court revenue at 20 percent of a city's budget. Defendants had to appear in front of a judge within 48 hours, and they had to be given a payment plan they could afford. 
Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt led the charge for Senate Bill 5 as a Republican state senator from Glendale. He says it's become a national model. There's a lot of reflection, certainly, that that everybody's going to encounter here with the five-year anniversary of Ferguson. But one of the things I think people should be particularly proud of is that Missouri did come together and enacted the most sweeping municipal reform in our state's history, and it has improved the lives of people. Other reforms came from the court system itself. The Missouri Supreme Court made it clear that municipal courts were courts and could not be overseen by the city government. Courts also had to be open for a minimum of 30 hours a week, and defendants had to be informed of their rights. Groups like Arch City Defenders also used lawsuits to create change. Voss says the organization has won more than $8 million in damages and forced cities to forgive about $5.5 million in debt. The reforms that happened uh, post-Ferguson that were voluntary are good. Uh, and we applaud those voluntary reforms, uh, at any point in time, they could backslide. And with a federal judgment, that won't happen. Sustainable reform will take political turnover, Voss says, and legislation and lawsuits haven't done anything to change who is ending up in municipal court. You can go to Ferguson and see that the, the lines are down a little bit. You can see that, that, but it's still, again, predominantly, even though the town's only 67% black, mostly 99% of the population that's going into court is black. The latest statewide numbers from the attorney general's office bear that out. Black drivers are still stopped, searched, and arrested at higher rates than white drivers. Schmidt says his office just collects the data and says they don't always paint the clearest picture. For example, he says they don't include the hometowns of the people who are pulled over. Regardless of their race, their gender, their creed, um, whatever it is, people deserve to be treated fairly under the law. That's really important. Policy solutions can, can come from that, but, but I think making sure that people have the most accurate information is important. Overall, he says he's proud of the way good people came together over the last five years to change a broken system. I'm Rachel Lippman, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Remember, if you like this podcast, tell a friend and rate, review, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. You can also drop me a line on Twitter, at Wayne Radio. I'm Wayne Pratt, and from the St. Louis Public Radio newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.